Good morning. Well, I don't know if this is a sad day for you or a, a happy day for you that we are finishing up our systematic theology after 26 weeks. Um, probably a couple breaks in there, so a little over six months. But um, it's been helpful for me to be reminded of some of these truths, and I'm sure these are many have been reminders for you as well. Um, you know, Peter says in his writing there, I think it's First Peter, he says, I will not stop reminding you of the things that you already know. And uh, so it's not as if we ever arrive in the Christian life where we get to the place and we say, yeah, I, I've got that licked, that's that's done with. We we have to be reminded often, and I, I do as well, uh, of of the things that we already know. And I think especially these doctrines are important when it comes to our understanding of God and His, uh, the way that He works in in this life, and you know the the main difference between a believer and an unbeliever is not the uh, understanding of facts necessarily. The understanding of facts, you know, sometimes we think, well, the reason that I'm a believer and they're not is because I know more than than they do. But really, the difference is. Um, whether we practice these things. Uh, and I often uh, am reminded and remind you of the parable of the wise man and the foolish man who built their houses on two different foundations. And Jesus says that the difference between the wise man and the foolish man is not that one uh, heard the word and the other did not hear the word. He says in that parable that both heard the word, but the difference between the wise man and the foolish man is the wise man actually practices what he had heard and learned. And the foolish man is the one who who does not practice those things. He simply hears the Word but doesn't do anything about it. And so if we want to have a solid foundation, if we want these truths of the last 25 weeks to do anything for us spiritually, then, then we will do well to actually uh, practice them and to put them into practice. So that's what we're going to look at today. Let me ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 to start with, and then we'll pray and ask God's help uh, as we try to apply try to apply the doctrines of Scripture to, to our, our lives. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that You have not left us without a witness, but You've clearly revealed for us the truth of Your Word and uh, the truth through Your Word. We uh, are not left guessing what we should do or uh, what, what You might want us to do. You lay down for us clearly what You, what you demand of us. And so we pray that You'd help us to take seriously this preserved Word that we have in front of us and to not just put it on the shelf and think of it as another um, document or ancient piece of literature, but as the very Word that comes from your mouth. And we pray that as a result it will change our hearts and change the way that we live. We desire to be pleasing to you in our lives, in our church, and we know that the only way that we can is through your Word, so help us as we try to apply this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 
What do we do in view of God's mercy? Romans 12.1 says that in view of God's mercy, we ought to present our bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. So the only reason that we would ever give ourselves to God as a sacrifice of worship would be that we understand His mercies. We understand what He has done for us. And that's what these doctrines help point us to, the mercies of God. And so what I want to do here is a little bit of an exercise to start with this morning in Ephesians. And I want you to look through chapters 1 through 3. You don't have to read the entire chapters, but look through chapters 1 through 3 and give me some of the themes of Paul's writings. What, what types of things is Paul talking about in Ephesians 1 through 3? When you found them, just, you know, find one, just go ahead and say one. Mark. Okay? Redemption. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. You know, to the praise of His glorious grace, that, that God had chosen us, verses 4 through 6 and so on, and um, called us to be a part of, of His family through Jesus' blood. Okay? Redemption. Anything else? All right, where do you see that? Chapter 1, verse 15, Having heard the faith of Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, we do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you. Good. Okay, so so he's talking about their growth in godliness and his thanksgiving for that. How about chapters 2 and 3? Do you see any themes in there, Mark? All right, stewardship. Um, how we ought to... Use this mystery. Paul talks about a mystery in chapter 3 that was not revealed to the Old Testament believers. They didn't understand what this church would be. Uh, that was only revealed to us in this age. And so now we have a stewardship. How, how, are we going to use, uh, how are we going to use that? Anything else you see there? Paul? All right, where do you see that? Yeah, what a great, what was that, verse what? Yeah, what a great um, explanation of what we were like before we came to Christ, right? I mean, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, verse 4, made us alive, and He made us to be something, not just to save us from hell, but verse 10 says, says to be His workmanship, that He is still crafting us, molding us. Okay, so uh, I'm going to show you the reason why I'm doing this here in just a second, but now look at chapters 4 through 6. Chapters 4 through 6. And what types of uh, themes do we have there? Okay, good. Okay, we ought to be one body, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope and one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay, so there should be unity. Uh, verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. All right. Be imitators of God. Immorality should not be named among you, verse 3. Okay, anything else? All right, where do you see that? Verse 
chapter 4 there, verse 17, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk, being darkened, laying aside falsehood, verse 25. Of course, then you have all the um, all of the uh, relationships, how we how our our Christian life should play out in our relationships. You know, you you have the husband and the wife, the father and the son, chapter six. You have um, the employer and the employee, and so on. All right, then put on the whole armor of God. Now, what I'm trying to show you is that there's a stark contrast between how Paul starts his epistle and how he ends it. He starts it with what kind of uh, themes are they declarative? Okay, going back to English class here, declarative statements. He's making a statement, or are they interrogative? Or not interrogative, but are they uh, are they imperative? Imperative means they are commands. So in chapters 1 through 3, is Paul giving commands to the people or is he making statements, generally speaking? What was it? Statements, exactly. He's making statements about how it is that we are as as Christians, how it is that we exist in relationship to God and other people. So we could call that the doctrinal section of the book of Ephesians. Now, in chapters 4 through 6, he still does make statements, but what is the primary force or the primary uh, uh, theme that he's trying to get across? Declarative or imperative? Yeah. Right. 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 Imperative. Right. So he's he's saying it's really that is really the transitional verse in the whole book, chapters one through three. Here's all these statements about God, about your salvation, about where who you are in Christ. Chapter four. Therefore, I urge you, I implore you, I you know use the old language, I beseech you. This is how you ought to live. And then you know you get into things like Christian conduct and how we exist among our our um you know in, in our relationships and so on. So so chapters four through six are all focusing on primarily imperative statements, commands, how we ought to live. He constantly points back to the uh declarative statements that this is who you are and therefore this is how you ought to live. Paul does this throughout many of his epistles. This is one of the clearest ways that I could I could show this to you, but in Romans, he does the same thing. Chapters 1 through 11, he's talking about the doctrine of salvation, how we are justified, what it means having peace with God. Chapter 12, verse 1, transitional statement there. I urge you, therefore, brethren. This is how you ought to live. And then chapters 12 through 16, all talking about how we should live. Okay. The reason I'm doing this is just to give you an example or, or to show you that that all of this what has preceded us, I've tried to apply some of these doctrines as we've gone through, but, but all these first 25 classes that we've given here are, are primarily declarative. We're learning about the doctrines of Scripture, being reminded about them. And now we want to see, okay, what do we do with them? Now that we have all of these things, we've learned a lot of these things, been reminded of them, what do we do with them? And And I think... In a simple answer, what we need to do is to grow spiritually or to grow in our holiness. We need to pursue holiness. 
Um, God's goal for us is not to become Bible trivia cha- champions or, you know, um, superstars when it comes to understanding all the doctrines, being able to write good papers or whatever, but rather that our understanding of the Bible would actually be applied to our lives. Look at chapter 2, verse 10 of Ephesians, and I'll show you this, that, that God saved us. Yes, He did save us from hell and from God's wrath. That's true. But notice what He saved us for. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Not just for good knowledge. Okay, And I don't want to minimize knowledge. We have to have a proper knowledge of God before we act right. But 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 we can't also eliminate the good works part of it. We need to respond in the the proper response should be one of good works. So if you want to do great things for Christ, you need to you need to understand who Christ is and you need to be like Christ. And that means that we need to understand our our sin problems um that conflict in our relationships comes as a result of our own sin. Uh turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll look at here the process of biblical change. How is it this happens? How is this spiritual growth or holiness? How does this take place? And you're familiar with this passage, but it's always good to be reminded of of uh, this key text in the New Testament. Paul taught that the Bible has the power to produce genuine change in an individual. And here's how it happens. It happens in these four ways. As the Scripture is is transforming us. This is how the Scripture transforms us. Okay, first, uh, well, let's just read the passage, then we'll we'll pick them out. All right, verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Alright, first, notice the goal, verse 17. What is God doing in us? He's equipping us for, and then think back to Ephesians 2.10, for every good work. God's equipping us for every good work. So how does He do that? Well, verse 16 says that the Scriptures are inspired by God. They are God's direct word to us. That He is the one who who wrote them down, basically. I mean, He 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 preserved them for us. Obviously, He did it through men. But but the Scriptures are what it is that changes us. And so they are, as the text says, profitable. They are profitable for uh, for changing us. And here's the four ways. You probably already know these blanks, but I'll just give them to you one by one. First, teaching. Teaching. We can't change how we act unless we first change how we think. Because what we think will determine how we act. If we have a sinful or a a false view of God, then we will live uh, we will live in a way that's not pleasing to God. Alright? If we 
let's just take an example, okay, with regard to obedience to parents. We're most of us, all of us, far removed from the time when we were were underneath the rule of our parents and we had to obey everything they said, right? So, so if we have a false understanding of that, you know that. You know, my parents don't always do the right thing, so I can pick and choose where I will obey them. If we have a false... Then we're going to question everything that they say, everything that they tell us to do, because we're not going to obey you unless we understand why you're telling us that. Okay, and that that's a problem, because the Scriptures say explicitly, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And this, that is, the, the responsibility lays on you, yes, to make the right choice, but the responsibility also lays... On the parent, they have a responsibility to watch over you, and for you to usurp that authority shows that you have a wrong view of God. So, so my point is that the way that we think will determine how we we act. And that's why Paul often uses expressions like renewing your mind to talk about transformation. That, that Romans chapter twelve, right, verse two, that we ought to renew our mind. That that's why we we are constantly trying to point one another to the Scriptures because we need a continual renewing of the mind. We we have, as I said before, have not arrived. And if we think we have, we have been deceived. All right, so teaching. This is what the Scriptures help. Helps teach us what is true, what is right. Second, rebuke or rebuking. Okay, so this, again, is talking about our thinking. We could think of the first one in a positive light. Okay, teaching us the right things. Rebuking is turning us from the wrong things. Okay, so if we're thinking wrongly about a specific doctrine or a philosophy of life, then what the Scriptures do is they rebuke us. They turn us from that. No, that's not the way we ought to go. We need to turn around and start going towards God with regard to His understanding of or, or His... Um, expression of of how we ought to live and um and so the bible helps doing that perhaps just to try to illustrate this for you you've seen this in sitting under the preaching uh of the word that you had you had a certain idea of how life was to be in this in whatever situation and then you heard the word of god preached you saw that this was actually coming from the text. This is actually God saying this. And then you thought, well, that was rebuking to me because all these years I've been doing this and now the Scriptures have turned my eyes. I know um, that's happened to me on a number of occasions, uh, even while studying through several of these passages that I preach. You know, have a certain mindset of, as to how things ought to be and then I see in the Scriptures that my mindset from the time I was young was not precise and the scriptures help rebuke me in that in that way hope hope you see that happening to you as well this should produce in us repentance okay then correcting okay so what you're going to notice here is that we're back to a positive one this has to do with more with action so these two have to do with teaching or or with uh, instruction positive instruction and we can call it negative instruction which is turning us from our wrong Understanding, and then we have actions, correcting and training in righteousness. So correcting is is the negative part of it. So we're living in a way that we should not be living, and what the scriptures do is help correct us. Okay, this doesn't have so much to do with our 
thinking, although it's not, not disconnected from it, but it has to do with the way that we're living. We, we, we're participating in some sin and we come to a, a passage of Scriptures that says this should not even be named among you. All right? Uh, we just saw that in the Ephesians, that immorality should not be named among you. And uh, so we need to turn away from that to- sort of action because that's not how Christians live. And the Scriptures often point us to what is known as the replacement principle, putting off right the evil deeds and putting on righteousness. We, we turn from those things. And then finally, training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. So again, this is... Uh, this would be consistent with Matthew chapter 28 where where Jesus gives the Great Commission. He says to teach them to observe everything that I've commanded them to do. So teach them to observe these things, to understand them, make disciples of them, help them to understand these things, and then teach them to observe, train them in the ways of God. And uh, so this is a positive, ongoing process, sometimes painful process that that the Scripture uh, takes us through. And as we are underneath the submission of the Scripture, the authority of the Scripture, it will, it will transform us. It, it sometimes can be um, a painful process because there's discipline involved, right? These middle two. Because it actually is changing us. And uh, change sometimes is hard and sometimes difficult. But the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to pierce even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit. That's the, that's the power of the Word of God. All right, let me talk about this replacement principle quick on the next page there, and then I'll see if you have any questions. Ephesians 4, Paul talks about putting off and putting on. Colossians 3, he does the same thing. Okay, so what we're doing here is we're putting off sinful behaviors, putting off sinful behaviors, and putting on righteous behaviors. Okay, so if we are engaged in sin right now, here's the thing that the scriptures would tell us to do stop it. Okay, stop sinning. Stop doing the thing, the very thing that Christ saved you from. Um,. Stop doing that, but but don't stop there. Don't stop with just eliminating sin. You also need to put on righteous behavior patterns because when we just put off those sinful behavior patterns, we will find that those sinful behavior patterns will come back if we don't replace them with righteousness. That's the idea. Okay, Putting off something and then putting something on. All right. Any questions or comments on the process of spiritual growth. It happens as the Scriptures are our authority, as they change us, as they instruct us, as they teach us how we, what we should live. And, um, and, and this happens through this, uh, this training process. Any questions or comments? Trish? Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I think um, Paul's talking to Timothy here specifically because in chapter 1 he had talked about how his mother and grandmother um, had trained him from the time that he was young. Unfortunately, not everybody has that sort of upbringing, so they can't be trained in the sacred writings that way. But for Timothy, he was trained from the time that he was really young. Obviously, at some point he had to make a choice and choose to follow Christ or not, and obviously he did. Um, Romans 1, 18 or somewhere in there, 1, 18 through 21, yeah. All right. All right, well, let's talk about how this how this works. How do we engage ourselves in the process of change? And uh, we don't want to get back under the chains of, of our past sin. Change. All right, so these are some just what I would call the uh, the Christian graces. Okay, just the, the very the very graces by which God uses to change us. And you've heard these a hundred times, if not a thousand or a million times, but I'm not going to stop uh, reminding you about them. Okay, first, search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures. If we're going to be disciplined with regard to our way of life, our proper thinking and proper action, if we are serious that God's Word is truth and is what is necessary to change us, then we can't eliminate this. Because this is how God speaks to us. He didn't just speak to you one time when you got saved. He continually speaks to you through the Scriptures. And so you need to search the Scriptures. And uh, there's a couple ways that we, we do that. I gave you a blank ahead, but let me just uh, mention these quickly. Okay, be committed to regular reading of Scripture. We have a Bible reading schedule uh, that's out on the table, and we're working our way through the entire New Testament, the book of Psalms, and half of the Old Testament this year. It works out to about two chapters a day. And uh, it's a great way to get a a bird's-eye view of what God is saying to you. Because sometimes we get so lost in the details that we don't see the big picture. And this is a really helpful way to do that. That through the course of two years, you will have read through the Old Testament two times, or one time, and the New Testament two times. And so I'd encourage you to be involved in a regular pattern of reading the Scriptures for yourselves. That gives a broad perspective. And then be involved in a regular study of the Scripture for yourself. Alright, so that means that um, that's more the, the detailed perspective. So yeah, we would do want to have a big picture perspective, but also we want to drill down and, and look at smaller portions of Scripture, like a paragraph. Just take a paragraph from the New Testament, for example, and just ask questions of it. What is God, uh, what is God saying in this passage? Why did Paul write this? Right? What, what's the problem here? What, what is he trying to solve in, in writing this paragraph? And then try to answer them from the text itself. And then if you need other resources, there, there's lots of great great ones to do. But I would encourage you to make this a part of your, um, of your regular time with God each day. Reading the Scriptures, getting a broader overview, and then a drill down, some sort of study of a smaller section. Don't think, okay, I'm going to study the entire book of Hebrews, and I'm going to get an in-depth study. If you want to do that, do it. But... I would encourage you to take a book that you enjoy, perhaps, and just uh, start out at the beginning and just take one paragraph. Okay, that's a, a 
um, enclosed unit of thought and try to understand what, what God's saying to you there. And uh, some great study Bibles. I, I think we need both. We need the broad perspective and the detailed perspective. And the Scriptures really are the foundation for our change, so we need the Scriptures regularly. Search the Scriptures, and uh, as the Brians did, they did it daily. Second, local church involvement. It's important to attend the church, but it's essential to be involved in the church. If you are going to see spiritual growth in your life, it's going to come from your involvement in the local church. Because spiritual change is a community project. We need others to help help us in the process of change. I need others to help me in the process of my change. I need you to help me in the process of my change. That's why one of the reasons why I come to church, you say, well, you come to church because you have to. Well, I need to change. And uh, and I need you to help me to change. And so, as I talk with you, you can see where I am misguided or where I have overemphasized something to the extreme. And you have helped me in that way in the past. And I know that the Lord will continue to use you in that way. And I think that's the case for every uh, church member. That that we change as a, when we come into contact with other believers who are living out what the Scriptures tell us. Not just the change in doctrine, okay? That's not what the Scriptures teach about, you know, our growth in godliness. Or that's not what the te- the, God, the, the Scriptures teach about our justification. It, it also has to do with the way that we live. So that when we come into contact with other believers, they see who we really are and how we're living from day to day. And they know if, if this is this is right or this is wrong. And so we need to be involved in the local church because... The, the church helps us to be guided in the right way spiritually. It helps us to be involved in that process of change that we were talking about, both with right thinking and right living. And sometimes it's going to be correction and rebuke. Other times it will simply be preventative, we could say, which is, uh, what was the first one there? Um, teaching and training. Okay, so teaching us the right things to think. Preventative, I say, you know, we're learning these things in advance so that when we come into the midst of trials or when we're deeply tempted over something, we know the right way to think about it and now we just need to act out what we know. Okay, so so we're involved in in um, in the local church. And when we get involved in the local church, it will help us with, okay, this first area, searching the Scriptures because we're going to be instructed with regard to the Scriptures. It will help us in encouragement that you know there will be times when you are discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged this morning. And you come here and you walk away having been encouraged because someone came to you and told you that they were praying for you or they encouraged you to continue on even though things are difficult. It will also help you with accountability okay, to make sure that 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 uh, that you are living as the scriptures tell you to live. When we come into membership as a church, we actually covenant ourselves together that I'm going to live a certain way based on our understanding of the scripture as a church. And the church is saying, I'm going to keep you accountable to to help you to live that way. And when you don't, then I'm going to come and talk to you. Right? That's that's part of the beauty of the local church involvement. 
And then, of course, it will also help us with areas of service. How do we, how do we live out these things that we've learned? We're going to learn this morning in Galatians chapter 6 that we should do good to all men, but Paul says especially to who? Those who are of the household of faith. Okay, we should do good to all people, but we have a specific and special responsibility to do good to people within our own church, to, to, to do good to, specifically to Christians. And here's how you do it. Just get involved in a local church. And that's a great way to, to be able to, to serve, to, uh, to grow spiritually. I mean, because if you learn all these things, you know what it is that God wants you to do, and then you never get involved in a local church, you're not going to be growing spiritually. Okay, you, may, you may have lots of biblical knowledge, but biblical knowledge is nothing if it doesn't result in action. Right? Knowledge will puff up if it doesn't change a person. It needs to change a person. And then through prayer. Okay, prayer. And I just put a little acrostic that I found helpful um, from the church that I came from, uh, Inner City Baptist. Pastor Dorn would use uh, with us. This is just uh, something to think through as you're praying. What is it that I should be doing when I'm praying? Okay, first I should praise God. Think of the the Lord's Prayer: Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right there, there you just start out, enter His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Right. So you start out entering into God's presence with praise and thanksgiving for who He is and what He has done. One thing you include in your prayers. Second thing is repentance. We turn from our sins. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? Lord's Prayer. So, we praise God for who He is and then we acknowledge who we are before God. We're wretched sinners apart from Christ's grace. And so we're going to turn from our sins. God, we're, we're confessing. We're saying the same thing about our sin that you're saying about it. And we're going to turn from it now. And then ask, right? Uh, God says in, in James, you know, that, that we have not. Why? Because we, we don't ask. We just, we don't ask sometimes. So, we, so God wants us to ask. He, he's a good father and he wants his children to ask him for things. Because it expresses for for us, our dependence upon Him, that God, I need You. This is all part of spiritual growth. And this, this should be, our prayers should be improving. They should be maturing as we get older and as we learn more about God and as we walk through trials and, uh, and see Him carry us through. Ask. And then finally, yield. Okay, this is kind of in conjunction with the repentance one, but it's you know, this is a great one to do while you're reading the Scripture, yielding. What is it in this text that I need to change? What, what, where do I need to yield my, my desires to God's desires? And you simply ask God those things, and He often reveals those areas where we need to yield from His Word. That's how He talks to us through His Word. Okay, so here's another means of grace. First, Searching the Scriptures, second, local church involvement, third, prayer. As we pray, we will, we will be growing spiritually as the means of God providing more and more grace for us to, to be changed. And then in giving, 
giving. Okay, we talked about stewardship earlier. That was with regard to the mystery of the gospel. Here has more to do with our resources. Now we're going to give God when I say that I'm willing to give everything to you. When I'm say when I say that I'm willing to take up my cross and follow you, that means I'm not going to hold anything back. If if you want any of my resources, in fact, what resources do you want, God? What what of my money? What do you want? I'm happy to give it back to you. And um I often encourage rather than a an emotional appeal, uh, an emotional appeal for giving. You know, we we have a big message on giving. Okay, we need to really jack this up, and you know, instead of that, I I try to encourage more a, a week by week faithful giving uh, to God's work. And this really is a good expression of of where our treasure is. We do this from week to week. Yeah, anybody can give when there's an emotional appeal. You know, throw the Offering plate out there. This person's really hurting. Let's and we should do that on occasion. I'm not not saying we shouldn't, but but if that's the only time that we really have a desire to give, then that probably reveals within a, our hearts a problem. And so I I encourage just a week by week steady, you know, giving, recognizing that God's God's work is is here in this church, and God is doing a work here in this church, and and this is where um, we ought to, to give. It's a practice of stewardship. It's trusting that God uh, will accomplish what He pur- purposes through our resources. And then witnessing um, another means of grace, spiritual growth, a way that we can kind of have a litmus test for where we are spiritually. Are we involved in these types of things? Are we growing in these types of things? You know, is our witnessing any different from when we first got saved? It reminds us of what God is doing outside of us, not just, you know, us for no more mentality, but, you know, what is God doing outside of these walls in our other relationships, at our work, in our families, across the globe? What is God doing there? And then finally, reading Christian literature. Reading about other believers who, um, you know, who have gone through the same sorts of trials that you've gone through, they will provide you a great amount of insight and encouragement when you seek to see how does this, how does this scripture play out in daily life, in my trials that I'm going through, in my challenges, and um, lots of great biographies you can read. Lots of great um, books on Christian living. I mean, we we just have a wealth of information in our country, with um, you know hundreds and hundreds of years of scholarly work that has generated great, practical, helpful books that will help you grow spiritually. And uh, and when you read the the broader you read, in other words, if you read a lot, especially Christian literature, you're going to be able to think more critically about the Bible in a good way. Okay, when I say think critically, I don't mean, you know, in a cynical way. I mean, uh, in a proper sort of of thinking, with a proper mentality that, okay, what is it that Paul's actually saying? All of these preconceived ideas, uh, let me just give you an example. 
of something that I heard from the time I was young. And if this destroys, you know, what what you've lived by for years, I apologize because this may not be the best uh, place to, to to say this. But when I was young, I was told that uh, based on the King James text, that I should avoid all appearances of evil. Right? That is that uh, Ephesians chapter six, I think it is. Avoid all appearances of evil. If you look at that in the New American Standard or any other of the of the newer translations that use the older text, that remember we talked about a couple weeks ago that the King James version uses a uh, more recent versions of the Greek language. And so that was that was uh, a way that that people in my circles would say, don't go to movies because you want to avoid all appearances of evil. But if you look in the other text, what it says there is avoid all forms of evil. Okay? Because almost anything in our life could be taken in a wrong way by an unbeliever as an appearance of evil. All right? So that'll preach. There's some great sermons that can come from that, avoiding all appearance of evil. But that's not what the text says. And so as we get to mature spiritually, as we start to study these things, read Christian literature, that's why I'm talking about thinking critically, not thinking like um, like a naive person. Because the naive believes anything. That's what Proverbs says. The simple believes anything or everything, really. And that's not how we should listen. You say, well, wait a second. Isn't there something to submission to my pastor and all these things? There is a sense in which you should, uh, but but there's also a sense in which you should think critically for yourself because you will answer for how you have understood these things and how you've practiced them. Mark? Uh, the way I've heard it preached is the first way you said. Avoid all outward appearances of evil. So I can't go into a movie theater and watch a Disney movie because people might think I'm going to a rated R movie or worse. That's the way it's been preached. But, but I, And I think that's probably the understanding. Or, And I, I mean, I, it, just from the face of it, it sounds like that the King James translators were trying to say that very thing. And part of it is because they translated from a an inferior Greek text, in my view, not not a terrible one. Not, and I tried. I'm not trying to, you know, say throw all your King James Bibles away. I grew up on that, and I find it to be a very helpful version. But I think that their their uh, intention was to say appearances. Other way around, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it says it says avoid all forms of evil. So, like immorality, idolatry, you know. 
Yeah, or when you have it presented before you, don't walk into it. Don't. I've got to watch how I look to other people. That's not what the point is. Exactly, yes. Right. Yep. All right. Any other uh, thoughts or questions? All right. We'll appreciate your attention throughout this series. I hope it's been helpful to you. Next week, we're starting on um, biblical manhood and womanhood. And um, this is going to be a really excellent um, study through what the Bible has to say about our roles as man and woman. And this is not just for men and women within a marriage relationship or, you know, whatever. It, it has to do with, it, there There will be some of that, but, but it has to do with our relationship uh, within the church, our relationship uh, or our responsibilities within the world. And, uh, and so we're going to take the first several weeks to define some of the terms and, and try to see what the scriptures say about them. And then we're going to spend the last several weeks saying what it looks like in practice. Okay, so all these questions that you have about, you know, why women can't get up and preach or, or those types of things, those will all be hopefully answered. And if they're not answered, then you can ask them and we'll try to answer them uh, as we go. All right. So look forward to uh, starting that next week. Um, I think actually uh, Joyce Oshiro might be, I got to look at my schedule here and see what, what's going on next Sunday morning. But but anyway, otherwise it will be at the beginning of November when I get back from South America. All right, let's pray. Lord, we uh, are grateful for how your word instructs us and clearly reveals for us what you want us to do. And sometimes we get bogged down in the details and or we just don't want to give the effort into studying it. But we're thankful that, that you have uh, provided for us hundreds of years of scholarly men and women who have worked through the scriptures and have understood it and have written it down so that we can we can look uh, at 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 how the Holy Spirit worked through them and also you've given us the ability to be able to understand the scriptures for ourselves we don't necessarily need uh, you know a thousand years of scholarly work we have your Holy Spirit within us but we are thankful for those resources that we have we're thankful that the Word of God pierces our hearts and changes us to how we ought to be that puts us on the right path and keeps us from going to the wrong path. And so we pray that You'd help us to be more and more convinced of its power. And we pray that You'd help us to employ the means of grace that You have provided for us, being involved in a local church, praying and witnessing and reading Christian literature and thinking critically through the Scriptures. We pray that You would uh, give us the wisdom to do that, provide for us great spiritual leaders that will help us in that way. And so we pray that we would go from this series having reflected on the truths of Your Word and, and being changed as a result of it. Use us and uh, help us to understand the, what Your Scripture has to say about uh, our roles as men and women in the next series that we take on. And uh, until that time, may You strengthen us in our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.